Risa presents the Real Talks Podcast. Welcome, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Risa's Real Talks. I'm your host, Lee Fiella, and I am joined today by another executive on our team, Kareen. Thank you for coming and helping me out today. Thanks for having me. We have an awesome guest with us today. We have Jason Jogia. He is the Chief Investment Officer at Avenue Living. Thank you for joining us, Jason, as well. Thank you for having me. Uh, For those of you who don't know Jason, Jason is also a real estate professor at the university. I'm actually in his real estate investment class this semester, uh, which has been super enlightening, especially uh, for someone who doesn't have a a solid background when it comes uh, to investment, um, especially on the real estate side of things. So to begin, Jason, do you want to just give us a little bit of background on yourself? Tell us um, kind of what you do at Avenue, what your your key roles are there, and any other ventures you have going on. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so I serve as the chief investment officer for the Avenue Living Group of companies. Uh, you know, spread over three billion dollars in assets across Canada and the United States. Um, geographically, we're in over forty different markets, and primarily we are into real estate. And that real estate would be multifamily housing. It would be in storage, commercial, and agricultural uh, land. In terms of my role here as the chief investment officer, I'm I'm responsible for the capital stack of the business. So when I talk about that capital stack, I'm talking about the equity and the debt within the business and making sure that uh, they are optimized to to support the assets of this business and, and the operations of this business ultimately. And uh, been with Avenue for uh, for just over five years now. Um, I've known the group of companies for over ten. Prior to my role here, I was in banking, and I spent twelve years of my career through various progressions uh, in banking. Um, most recently, was uh, running the Scotia Bank's real estate desk for the Prairies and the Northwest Territories in Nunavut, and it was basically corporate debt for real estate companies. So, you know, clients of mine were the likes of the Brookfields, the Madamies of the world, who we would underwrite and we would provide financing to. So really, really great experience in running a team on, on the debt side of the business. Uh, moved into Avenue to focus in on um, a few different things. One is starting up one of our funds, which is the Real Estate Opportunity Trust. Uh, and the other one was to just, you know, overall provide support and uh and strategy on on the group of companies and their performance in the capital structure awesome yeah that's a really you know prominent background um kind of speaking to that kind of transition from bank to real estate what were kind of the key factors that you took from that experience to translate that translated forward to where you are now at avenue yeah i think i think a couple of interesting things i mean i think to understand that transition to is to understand my my background um, born and raised in Calgary, um, you know, father was very entrepreneurial, had his own business, you know, grew up in the family business, went to University of Calgary, did my degree in finance. Um, I would love to say at that stage of my life, I was a little under mentored and, uh, and maybe not uh, performing at my prime, let's say, um, but, but ended up very underemployed, walked out, of the, walked out of UFC with a banking job in retail banking at RBC. And ended up uh, after a year just realizing like this is not for me. Um, I, I just couldn't do it. It was you know personal financial planning. I got the designation. I started to you know do the day to day banking stuff, opening up people's credit cards and doing mortgages for them, and realized I had a lot more potential. So I, I went back to school because that was the best way to reinvent myself. 
Um, and that was to go do my master's in corporate finance in Italy. I always had a very, very big uh, passion for finance. So I ended up um, moving over to, uh, to Milan. I went to SDA Bocconi, which at the time, and I think still is, in the top 10 business schools in Europe and top 50 in the world. So, so you know, equivalent of Ivy League and the European standard. Um, really, really enjoyed my time there. Um, you know, this was back in 2005. And, you know, banking debt is kind of what I knew from what I was doing at RBC, even though it was on the personal side. Um, you know, moved to London for a little bit, trying to find that next job. And then TD ended up uh, being, being an option. So TD, uh, I, I got placed there back in 2006. Um, that was during the Alberta boom. And literally three days before my starting date, I got a call saying, hey, you're going to come into corporate debt or I think it was commercial corporate debt uh, team, but we have a role that we need to fill right away in the real estate side. Alberta's booming. We need, we need somebody to come in and work the real estate debt, debt, debt desk. Would you like to take an associate position there? And at that point, my experience in real estate is that I was a hobbyist investor. I had a couple of condos. I, my father was a little bit involved in real estate. He had done a couple of small developments and, in, in, uh, you know, a couple of small commercial developments. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I like real estate. Let's, let's give this a go. So it was just this kind of chance encounter um, that led me to the direction that I, I pursued uh, starting 06, 07, all the way to today for the last 14, 15 years. Um, and, and it was just about taking chance and opportunity that knocked. I found the correlation between finance, Puritan finance, cap structure, like debt, equity, operations, assets, everything that you do in business school that I had learned in my BCom, that I learned in my corporate finance degree, uh, my master's, it all correlated, it all jived. Whether you were doing project financing, investment analysis, it all had some level of correlation. Um, and I was able to hone in my skill and accelerate really, really quickly. So much so that I was one of the fastest people to track from associate to analyst at TD. I got poached, moved into another group, small bank, uh, back then was called Vers or Pacific and Western, now VersaBank, um, tasked to create a real estate book for them, um, work through a recessionary time, which was the great financial crisis that uh, you guys may be a little too young to remember, but studied. And uh, it was exciting. I mean, honestly, it was, it was a really cool time to be working because I went from the hot elevation of the Alberta boom, which we saw in 05, 06, 07, to what was one of the worst financial crises in our, in our history or in our time. I ended up um, just doing really, really well where I was, but I started to see my career kind of stagnate. I had uh, kind of plateaued in terms of my, my growth of that role and the growth of that book. And instead of just jumping ship because I was comfortable, I, I decided to do more education. So I did my master's, my, my MBA at UFC. And that was me doing my third degree, thinking to myself, like, I'm just going to go sharpen up my skills and see if there's anything new in finance and anything new in academia, academically. Uh, ironically, a lot of the cases I did in Europe were the same cases I was doing at the MBA. And a lot of the courses that I was doing in my BCom were the same courses I was doing in, um, in my master's. So I was able to conquer that relatively quickly. Um, my wife or my then girlfriend was actually doing the same thing. And so we were able to kind of coalesce each other's uh, timeframes at the same time. So, so yeah. And, and so then all of a sudden I hit 30 and uh, Scotiabank came knocking and all I was uh, basically brought on to be the youngest director in Scotiabank's history. Um, and I ran, I ran the prairies and that was my most recent. Now what happened is, uh, you know, working from, I'm going to say that was about 2012, 2012 to 2016, when I drew joined Avenue, 2011 to 2016, 
what I found very interesting around that time was that uh, we went through a little micro boom. We went through another bust. And I realized really quickly that being in the lending business, when you have these micro cycles is a really tough business because our business at the time when you're in debt is about customer relationships and risk management. And we ended up in this really interesting circumstance where we would be out there hot to trot marketing, 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 business development. I mean, I grew my Scotia book from 400 million to 1.2 billion. So it was a big push. And then all of a sudden you're risk off. And then it's like, we don't want to do any more lending. So that created a bit of a intrinsic circumstance where I kind of thought to myself, do I want to be on the service side, providing the services to these clients, or do I actually want to ride, ride with them and to be, be able to do more. And that's where Avenue Living kind of came knocking at the door with an opportunity or Anthony Jufri, their founder and CEO. And it was phenomenal um, kind of that next five years of my journey. Wow. That's a, an extremely extensive journey. Um, I mean, everything from kind of going off to Italy for further education to coming back, um, the transition through different roles at different companies. Um, you spoke a little bit about the volatility of the Calgary economy. Um, I'm sure everybody that's lived in Calgary knows about it. It's, it's a very prominent thing that goes on. In kind of an investment light, how do you go about dealing with this um, in terms of projects moving forward, de- determining what, what are investments that you were looking to make? I think, I think what is really interesting growing up in Calgary, having a career through Calgary is kind of the sentiment and temperament around, there's a proverb like rising tides floats all boats. The reality is, is we haven't rode a bull market in Calgary for 12 years. We just haven't seen it. And so as a result, what ends up happening is for somebody to be successful in this market, they tend to be, need to be really good operators, really good executors because money can be made when you're actually creating value, not by, you know, in finance, we call it alpha and beta, right? If the market's creating value for you, that is your beta. That is your correlation to the market. That is how you're doing. If you are creating your value, that is your alpha. And so, you know, one of the taglines I always use here is that we're great creators of alpha because we go into the market, whether it be Calgary or Edmonton or Saskatoon. I mean, the prairies at the whole, the U.S. prairies as a whole, and we really emphasize our efforts on how we can find a view to creating value with what's in our control. Never relying on the market to give us the, the you know, if I build it, it will come. That time slipped away back in 07 in Calgary and really never has come back. You know, there was a time there where if you bought a house and you were lucky enough to have a house, you were gonna make $100,000 no matter what. And if you contrast that to what we see in some of the buoyant markets in Canada, Toronto, Vancouver, everybody's the smartest person in the room because if you bought, you made money because that, that, that rising tide is floating all boats. And ultimately, you know, when I stack up Calgary based Prairie based operators to, you know, GTA based operators, or, or, you know, even, even some of the U S city based operators, I put our money on the Calgary folk who have been successful because ultimately they've, they've been able to do it themselves and create the value. So, so that's kind of how I see, you know, dealing with the Calgary market with volatility and cycles, you just got to be better. You just got to be the best. You got to be able to execute and you got to be able to have a view on how you create value through cycles, because then that's what makes your business sustainable. Thanks for that. Honestly, that was a great answer. I'm kind of curious though, um, when you mentioned trying to do better with the factors that you can control, at least in the case of Avenue Living or any or any firm that you really worked with, just to be more specific, what are those factors that you can control that you try to be better in? Sure. Um, so in real estate, 
let's talk about multifamily as an example. I mean, that's the bread and butter of Avenue Living. First piece that you can be better in is buying the right asset and buying right. So real estate is one of those things that if you bought wrong, it's very unforgiving because you're always now chasing yourself to try to get caught up with how you bought. Well, one of the tenants that we use is let's make sure that we're buying income in place or cash flows in place under current market conditions. Let's make sure that we're well below replacement costs so that if we were to do renovations, that at the end of the day, we're still cheaper than new. You know, there's something, you know, in our class, we talk about new construction rates versus existing stock rates. And the meaning of that really is what level of income do you need to sustain new construction revenue per square foot, if you want to measure it that way, versus what level of revenue do you need to sustain existing stock? And if there's a wide enough gap perpetually, you will always have a market in existing stock. But if you over-renovate and surpass new construction, you will lose. So buying right, buying under the right fundamentals is going to be critical. Once you own it, it's operating it effectively. Understanding who your customer is, what are their needs? I mean, folk within real estate tend to forget that the people living amongst them are their customer. And at the end of the day, they have their needs based on their socioeconomic profile, based on their, their, their desires, their wants, their wills. And being able to provide them a consistent delivery of service will keep them in their chairs. Because within real estate, especially when you're operating in a cyclical market like we do, I mean, the prairies are cyclical, like we know this, um, it's, it, the tenant turnover isn't a good thing. You know, when you're in Toronto, when a tenant leaves, if you're riding a bull market, chances are you're going to raise your rent on your next tenant, especially when you're in a rent-controlled environment. Here, you want to have your tenants stay and continue to pay you more every time they renew because they love your service and they love what you do for them. And so being able to understand what it takes to do that is a huge operation here. And it's an end-to-end -end operation. It's a call center. It is maintenance associates. It's leasing and renewal specialists. It's a full-born marketing system. It is a capital improvement department. I mean, we have to attack the assets to make sure that they're bettered and improved properly. We have to maintain them properly. And then we have to look after the residents properly. If you do all of that, then you will create value so long as along the journey, and we do this every single day, multiple times a day, you're measuring the incremental KPI because that's the most important thing. Dollars out needs to equal an incremental dollar in to create that profitability and that sustainment to the business. Thanks for sharing that. Now, um, just to take a step back a little, you mentioned that you invested in a couple of condos initially, and that's how you got into the real estate field. How did you manage to pick the, the proper asset to invest in initially? And was that something that you immediately found success in or did you have to do a trial and error there? What about students who want to get started in investing? How do you think they should go about that? It's a great question. Um, so I will say the one thing that working at Royal Bank right out of school did for me is let me understand what it takes to get personal credit and what it takes to create that, uh, that leverage within your personal borrowing or your personal life. And so by being a little innovative, I was in a position to, um, to not only get mortgages at that time as a first time home buyer, but also uh, borrow a line of credit because I was going to do my master's and, and have my down payment. I was able to do it all at once. It was really exciting. It was like a, I was at 110% leverage rate at that point in time. I would love to tell you that I had foresight to say, hey, this was the right way to do it based on fundamentals. I could tell you that at that point in time, condo prices in Calgary on average 
were probably somewhere around $200 a square foot. And so we were buying, or I was buying condos. Uh, my first one, I think it was $140,000 for 800, 800 square feet, two bedroom, two bathroom in downtown Calgary, just to put in context. So I definitely wasn't a shepherd at the time. I was one of the sheep. I was like, this seems like a really good deal. I'm going to do my first, you know, first time home buyer qualification. I'm going to rent this thing out. Um, I went through a lot of turbulence in renting. I, I made the wrong choice for my first tenant. It was very weird, um, but it was, you know, an experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of saw my way through trying to keep that thing rented. That was me trying to generate my own alpha to pay my mortgage payments. And what I was lucky to have at that point in time, because now we're going back to 05, is the market went really hot. I ended up selling that condo for like $320,000. So it just puts you in context. Like it was a once in a, in a opportunity, or not a once in a lifetime, but once in a generational, once in a moment time opportunity. You know, fast forward today, I am still invested in real estate personally. I mean, I'm personally invested all in in Avenue Living as an example, but I also do have some condos, some legacy condos from way back when I was a banker. And I've just resolved myself that I look at it from the lens of cash flow. If I can get cash flow and I can service my costs and I'm not investing in this thing and I get the right people and I serve them in the right ways, then I have a long-term view on the assets that I own. And it's not unlike what I do here at Avenue Living. It's just much bigger at Avenue Living, but it's very the same, same type of temperament. Yeah, I, I like that idea of kind of, you know, kind of that trial and error aspect, obviously, um, in your situation, it worked out, which is awesome. Um, it's always great to have, uh, to, to have your investment pay dividends. Um, Risa's starting our investment branch, which we're really proud to present. Um, Dylan has put a lot of work into this, uh, into this branch of our, um, of our club. And between Kareen and Dylan, the two of them have brought together a really excellent team. Um, and they were just kind of wondering um, from, a, from, a, from someone who works in industry, uh, what are the credentials um, that companies are looking for for new hires? Um, and what can the recent investment team do to build these skills um, and get these credentials um, just on top of them, you know, using this concept of trial and error as they kind of move through this process of learning about real estate investment on their own side of things? Yeah, so I, th I think a couple of things to unpack there, right? I think I think from a perspective of investment within real estate, I think it's understanding the different types of options within investment. So what I mean by that is, you know, we've talked about direct ownership, and direct ownership is one in which you know you buy an asset, you own it, you, you're responsible for it end to end, and you you make the dividend off of it or the yield off of that. The other methodologies is what we call indirect ownership. And being in a publicly traded company, for example, going and investing in a REIT or going and investing in an alternative investment that's a private REIT, something similar to what we are. And they all come with their, their own pros and cons. And pros being, you know, things like transparency, governance, et cetera. Cons could be things like liquidity, uh, paying fees for people to manage those assets on your behalf. At the end of the day, you know, from the stance of an investor, you are looking at what is right for you in terms of your desire to be active or passive in your approach and your capability. Because I think gone are the days where people look at real estate as an investment, as a side hustle, and really it's requiring a bit more of a tact 
because consumers are demanding more. Now, flip that aside in terms of students moving out of the University of Calgary and into the investment space, it is understanding what, you, what you're looking to get into. And what I mean by that is, you know, you could go walk out of there and out of the university and go work for a developer, for example, who is merchant building, who is out there building out assets, whether it be single family homes or multifamily apartments or condos or commercial buildings for the business of selling. And at the end of the day, it could be their own proprietary equity that they're using to do this and create yield or generate profitability. You could be going to work for a REIT. You could be going to work for a private alternative. You could be doing it yourself. Understanding who you're working for, who their stakeholders are, and how you can add value to that is imperative to your success in your career. Because a lot of people miss, you know, use this like not seeing the forest from the trees, if you've ever seen that before. They get fixated on doing the analysis of the investment in front of them not necessarily understanding that the stakeholders in every single entity that they're working on are completely different. And at the end of the day, there's an asset level analysis that you will all come out of school being very, very good at, but you then need to layer in your stakeholder analysis of how that transposes into the real returns to keep sustainability for those investors. And that that's going to be important to understand. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, kind of the difference of investment is something that is kind of lost on a lot of people new to real estate. For me, myself, um, when I first got into it, I, I had a very high, or I had a very high level knowledge of it, not coming into it with not a ton of information on it. And a lot of what I've known and, you know, where I, where I am currently with work, um, I'm on the brokerage side of things. So this investment side is something that's completely new to me um, through your class. I've learned a lot in terms of that aspect. So speaking to that a little bit, how how have you translated your career into becoming a professor and you know how have you gone about teaching students about investment in a way that's not just finance based but rather looking at it from a lens of real estate and just generally in investment yeah i mean i think i think i i chanced upon this opportunity when i was doing my mba and recognized that you know i've built an entire career in real estate real estate finance real estate investment analytics and academically, there was not a single subject matter taught to me in this. There was no section in the BCom at that time that could give you a course on real estate. We didn't talk about it. I mean, we talked more about building widgets in Atma when we should have been talking about the operation management of a real estate project, theoretically. And so at the end of the day, I, I approached, you know, um, Mr. DeWald and I, and I said, or, 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 uh, Jim DeWald and I, I, and I actually said that there's no real estate. And he had been working on this idea of creating a real estate studies program. Um, and so I did some research and I figured out, you know, best practices by other institutions in terms of educational institutions. I um, did a kind of special project for him. I don't even know what we call that, a, a special project course, got credit for it wrote a research paper and wrote a curriculum of what I would teach if I had to teach real estate and real estate. And so that was the starting of my course. I actually built an outline and a curriculum around this course, which was the foundation of what I believed was important for somebody to walk out of school and have enough to go get a job in the, in the industry and actually then now learn by doing. Because a lot of a lot of what we do is learn by doing. You have to be open to that and receptive to the fact that you're going to come out of school with a bunch of tools 
you're not going to use them all on day one. You're going to have a bunch of skills and then you're going to go hone them in into your work life. And, you know, you're, you're doing an internship now, you know what I'm talking about in terms of that differential between academic and work life. So I, I set this syllabus up based on, based on exactly that. Let us think about what are the fundamentals that we could know off the couch to then have betterment in how we would go work in the finance department of a real estate company or the asset management department of a real estate company or the real estate debt department of a lending company. And that is where I kind of came up with, with the curriculum that I came up with, which, which was really influenced around, you know, drawing financial concepts into real property development and understanding how they all transpose together. So you'll see, you know, when I talk through those things, it's it's really about trying to draw from your finance 317 class into let's let's apply this to real estate. Let's apply this to real estate. And it's dense and it's a lot, but it gives you this kind of base level understanding to then hone in, hone in the skill sets that that you have to the next level. And that that's how I created it. And you know, I I I've hired a lot of my former students, so I can say it's been pretty successful because they do tend to come here with a little bit higher level of acumen than, than someone off the couch who hasn't had that experience. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think that you've done a really good job with the class. It really kind of gives you, you know, a strong understanding of real estate investment, especially like I, like I mentioned, coming from a brokerage perspective, it's not something that's talked about a ton, but it's something that's starting to get elaborated on something that's starting to, you know, become more of a consideration because there's more of a requirement for it nowadays. There's more of an analysis that's required that goes into these different decisions for decision makers, whether it's clients, companies, whatever it may be. Continuing on, um, in terms of you know yourself, what are some habits to success that you have for yourself that you know you could pass on to students, anyone listening into the podcast that could help them in their career, not even just in real estate investment, but just in general, moving forward to you know grow their personal or their human capital. Um, don't be afraid of the grind, because the idea is that you know the more you put in, the more you'll get out. Don't look for instant gratification. You know, I think that 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 is very, very important, you know, always kind of come at it with the attitude that if I put this effort in, I'm bettering myself and it will get noticed. And even if it doesn't get noticed in the world that you're living in or in the career that you're in today, it will get noticed in your next step and your next step and your next step. Um, you know, I think always be open to new knowledge and new opportunities. Like, don't, don't close off your mindset from, from opportunity. If an opportunity is being provided to you, take it. Um, if it lines up with your longer term ambitions. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think it just really starts with this willingness and can do and the grind. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, and, and Anthony, you're going to be having a podcast with our, our founder and CEO, Anthony Jufri, but you know, he will tell you like, you start your day really early in the morning Everybody here, you know, is in quite early. I mean, I start at six. I got my team here who want to be here, you know, 6.30, 7.30. And then we just go until, until we, we can't go anymore. And then we come and do it again the next day. But the work is never done because you're creating and this is a canvas and you're building and you're building your own future and your organizational's future. Um, and if you come in with that attitude, it's, it's really, really exciting. It's really exciting. 
Yeah, no, before I came to Avenue Living, I don't think I knew what a cap rate really meant. Like I knew it was net operating income over like, but I didn't know exactly what it meant and what what that metric, I guess, told us about the asset in itself. And then coming into Avenue, you fought, you and Anthony worked so hard to foster this environment of learning and teaching and helping each other. I know that like, I learned the I learned the most by doing right so you mentioned that earlier and that's like the best way that I learned as well and I found that everyone at Avenue was so willing to help and so willing to you know take the time out of their day to teach me something so that I walked out of Avenue knowing so much more than I came into um, the company because again finance 317 and all the other finance classes they teach us a lot of those fundamentals that we need to know but when it comes to specifics for real estate I didn't have enough of a foundation before going into Avenue. And I was so grateful for the experience that I got over the summer with you guys. Um, and I guess like the one thing that I wanted to ask too was for all of our students that wanna pursue a grad degree, what was the biggest benefit that you found through a grad degree? Um, I would say, I would say that in your BCom, you have all walks of life doing a BCom. And, and I was mentioning this to Lee before it started. I was so impressed by how far Reese has come to create this group that, that is centered around real estate. I mean, it's amazing to see that. Um, but but when, when, when I was going to school, it's a very fragmented grouping of people when you're in your BCom. Everybody has different interests, different ambitions, don't know what they're doing there. I think 80% of everybody I talk to wants to be an iBanker, it seems like all the time. Um, so, so my point is, is that I think when you're in your BCom, it's very fragmented and your network and your, your grouping of people all have different ambitions. And a lot of times they don't even know what they want to do. They maybe know what they think they want to do based on what they've been told, but they just don't necessarily know what they want to do. When you go to a grad degree, what I found is that after a few years of experience, even a year of experience, even some internships, you end up you end up narrowing the pool of people that you're surrounded with to people who really want to be there. So it's no longer the rite of passage to get the job. It becomes the, I really want to be here and I'm spending the money to be here. When I went and did my master's, I surrounded myself with over 30 like-minded people who had a passion for academia and a passion to study. They were all paying really, really good money to be there. And they were all there on the basis of this ambition to do something different and do something more. And I'm in touch with a lot of those people still to this day, 16 years later, I'm actually in business with one of them. And it's, it's amazing to see how, how that shift in mentality uh, changes your experience. In terms of what you learn, you just go deeper. And, and in some cases, in some cases you don't, but it's just, it's how much more you put into it than what you're gonna get out of it when you're doing those grad studies. Um, you know, I remember relearning things from what I learned in the BCom because it's not, it's, 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 some of those concepts are the exact same, but your elevated level of aptitude of understanding it and the perception of what you see after some years of maturity make it a lot different, right? And this is why I'm doing my DBA in January. I'm doing the doctorate program at UFC because I feel like, you know, again, I want to go back into academia and, and do more research and hone in more skill to see how I can create improvement in my own knowledge base but in terms of the DBA, some maybe original thought around what I've learned over the last 15 years as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Honestly, Risa is uh, 
a great community of people and it's literally me wanting to do the work on my weekends and that's what I tell people I'm like this is such a great group of people and I am so happy to be here and I think Risa did definitely enrich my experience in UFC. It's exciting that you guys have built this because when I was around it didn't exist. Yeah no um, thank you very much you know Risa's been a it's been a really good organization, you know, coming from the outside, looking in and now being on the inside of it. Um, I'm really happy with the group of people that we have, um, you know, offering different opportunities and really trying to do stuff like this, talk to industry professionals and, you know, gain this expertise that could lead to some really successful careers. That being said, Jason, thank you for everything you've spoke about today. Thank you for, you know, teaching at the U of C, you know, helping out students to, you know, gain this information learn about you know this industry that typically isn't talked a lot about isn't a prominent thing within the education system so i just want to thank you again for joining us today well lee green thank you so much for your time today um kudos to you both of you for everything that uh, you've done with risa and the team at risa and uh, i appreciate you guys taking the time to uh to interview me today so thank you very much Thanks, Jason. I appreciate that. Uh, we wish you the best in all of your endeavors, whether that be your doctorate or just with your career at Avenue. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some even more promising things coming for you guys. Maybe we might have to have you back here one day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Okay, take care. Thanks, Jason. Awesome. Awesome, folks. Thank you very much for tuning in to Reese's Real Talks. We will be back again very soon with another podcast. That being said, have a good rest of your day and talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to Reese's Real Talks podcast. Until next time, keep it real.